Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Welcome back to the show. Glenn and Neil with you. Joining us, Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor at McClarty Associates. And we are going to go to the Pentagon first. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Great to be back uh, with the, the, the three of us. So ha- good to be here. Absolutely. Hey. And your, tri- your trip went well to California? Good time with your family, all that? Hung out with the Rock, so had a good time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> now, did he ask you questions about geopolitics and, and security around the world? Like okay, he look, apparently yeah, did yeah, at the he, Pentagon or whatever? Now look, the, the Rock went to the Pentagon for a very good reason. Okay. And there has been a very tight connection, especially between Hollywood and the military. And Hollywood and Hollywood movies have been a key part of promoting the military and in military recruitment. And, like, you know, after the Top Gun movies, military recruitment goes up. So The Rock has played veterans in his movies. He went to the Pentagon um, to figure out how do you continue this, this very symbiotic relationship between between Hollywood and, and, and the military. Look, I wouldn't, when I was back in the, in the day when I was in the Clinton administration, I went to the White House and we talked about how we could use government facilities when Hollywood wanted to use them. So completely 100% appropriate and good that The Rock was at the Pentagon. He was not there to talk about military strategy. Yeah, but okay, first of all, the producers and and all the location people are the ones that deal with locations. All Rock's got to do is just make the movies, right? Well, yeah, but you why does he need to the, take a meeting with the Pentagon? You want the because it's a good picture to have. There you the go. Rock. That's all I wanted to hear. You're good. Pentagon's purposes <laughs> and for the Rock's purposes. The Rock was also with you know my friend Mark Kelly, senator from Arizona, you know veteran, talking about the importance of the military to the United States. We want Hollywood stars doing this. I this just is good I, for America. I just wanted you to hear you say it was a photo op, and you did so. Okay, you. but only one, only one Hollywood star has said on Trevor Noah's podcast this very week on Thursday that multiple parties have asked him to run for president. Multiple Multiple parties, Steve. Those words came from Dwayne the Rock Johnson himself, and he has not ruled it out. And and when pressed, who were these multiple parties? Of course, he never said it. Uh, Of course, he didn't disclose who they were. And what did the Rock say? He wrote on Instagram after the the last time all this talk came up. He said, I don't think our founding fathers ever envisioned a 6'4" bald, tattooed, half-black, half-Simone, tequila-drinking, pickup-driving, fanny-pack-wearing guy joining their club. But if it ever happens, I'd be honored to serve you, the people. Of course, that's what he's going to say. <laughs> With a build-up like that, how could we not elect him? Yeah. Come on. Well, just this week, he was also on the Today Show, and he would not rule it out again. I'm just putting it out there, what's in the news. Yeah, yeah anyway. Okay, hey, hey, let's move on. we got bigger, uh, bigger and more interesting stuff to talk about. Kevin McCarthy, the former Speaker of the House, who was ousted uh, not cere- unceremoniously early, uh, just a couple of months ago, is now saying that he will step down from Congress at the end of the month. He's not even waiting until his term is over. It is a direct, I would say, you know what, to the rest of his party for the way he's been treated. What do you think, Steve? Well, it just shows you the absolute and total control Donald Trump has over the Republican Party. You shouldn't even call it. It's the Trump Party now. Right. So here, Kevin McCarthy, um, you know, took 15 votes in, in January to become Speaker of the House. He got 
Trump at the end of the day to support him, which is why he was elected to Congress, uh, elected to Speaker. And you got to, if we go back to January of 2021, Donald Trump, there was a glimmer of, of an instant in maybe as a blink of an eye where Donald Trump was somewhat in trouble with the American people, with the Republican Party. It was Kevin McCarthy who saved Donald Trump. It was Kevin McCarthy, leader of the House Republicans before he was, before they had the majority, went to Mar-a-Lago, helped rehabilitate Trump. And then what happens when Donald Trump can save McCarthy from getting voted out of speaker um, when there was a band of about eight Republicans who were opposing him? Trump refused. And you know why Trump refused? Because McCarthy didn't expunge the impeachments when he had the chance, because McCarthy didn't endorse uh, Trump for president right away. So Trump abandons him. McCarthy loses the speakership. McCarthy says, I'm not going to stay in Congress. But you know what he says yesterday? He says that he endorses Donald Trump and he's willing to serve in a cabinet role in the Trump administration. What? I missed that. Oh. Yep, came out, he came out this morning and said, if I'm the best person for the job, I will serve in Trump's administration. <laughs> so if the Republican Party doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's the Trump Party. <laughs> and on that point, how much further to the right can the Republic Party or the Trump Party, as you call it, lurch? I mean, this is the same far right pro-Trump faction that made him the first that made him the speaker in the first place, but then made him the first speaker to ever be ejected by his own party. How much further to the right can the Republicans go? Well, they will they will go to whichever direction Donald Trump wants to take them. And, and what's coming out now is the plans for, a, you know, Trump 2.0 um, and the lessons learned from the Trump administration when, you know, when they look back on their first term was they did not have true believers in positions of power. They had people um, who were not loyal to Trump, but were really loyal to the Republican Party. And they said, we're not going to let that happen if we win. We are only going to have loyalists in who are going to be loyal to Trump, not necessarily to the Constitution, right? but to Trump. And so it is going to be, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know, Neil, if I put the word right or, or left with Trump, it's going to be whatever direction Trump wants. He's going to weaponize the Justice Department he, to go after his enemies. He's going to weaponize the Justice Department to go after the media. Um, he's going to become much more isolationist. He's going to become much more um, anti-immigration. Um, uh, he's going to become, you know, he's going to become much more protectionist. So I don't know if being a protectionist is right wing or left wing. But mm. when you talk about putting 10 percent tariffs on everything, this is going to have a huge impact on the world. Well, it's very interesting the words you use there, Steve, you know, the true believers. When you start using words like true believers, that is the rhetoric of authoritarianism. Is that too strong a word, or is that where Trump is leading the Republican Party? No, it's the exact right word. And when Trump says that he calls people who are opposed to him vermin, mm. that is exactly the words that the fascists and dictators used in the 30s. So, no, it, it, that, is, that is exactly the language that he is using. Hey, Steve, um, we, we weren't planning to talk about it, but did the, did the Republican um, – debate this week change that calculus at all? Nikki Haley seems to have kind of come out on top. She's still wave wave behind in the polls. But is anything moving this week, just briefly, uh, from your perspective, uh, since that uh, since that uh, debate this week? No, I mean, Trump's, Trump's up 50 points. Uh, this was the least watched Republican debate, I think, ever. <laughs> no one's paying any, you know, no one's paying any attention to it. Um, you know, Trump's ignoring it. And um, so, no, it doesn't change anything. 
I mean, and you still don't have the, the Republican Party, you know, is still not coalescing behind one person. You've got DeSantis, you've got Haley, you still have Christie in there. You have governors going, you know, the governor of Iowa is behind DeSantis, the governor of New Hampshire presumably will. Uh, Haley, so no, it's changing anything. It's, it's, a, it's, it's Trump, and mm. absent something we don't, can't foresee, it is going to be Biden against Trump, and that's, that, that's been baked for a while. Well, speaking of Trump, his favorite food in the White House. <laughs> nice segue. You see what I did there? Wow, that you see was what I did clever. There? Was, of course, McDonald's. <laughs> he famously, you know, introduced American footballers to his McDonald's meals. And McDonald's is in the news again. They're trying to take back some of the market share from Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts and others by introducing customizable drinks and treats. What do we make of this, Steve? What's it about? I cannot wait. I know me, you, and Glenn, I think we're going to go and we're going to order those churro frappes <laughs> and pear-flavored slush or a turmeric latte. Oh. I, that, I mean, that is where the, I don't know, they're not millennials or Gen Zers or whatever they call now. They think that they need to be selling to be taking market share back uh, from, from Starbucks. Uh, and so... You know, that's where they're going, and that's what they think is going to be needed for them to, to come in. And so they want to open, you know, tens of thousands. 10,000 of- restaurants in the next four years. Does the world, I mean, I know my answer is the world does not need 10,000 more McDonald's, but I, I guess, you know, I don't have stock in the company. So, But that was going to be my question to you, Steve, as, as Glenn says, 10,000 more restaurants to reach 50,000 restaurants. Look, we are supposed to be, we've got a climate scientist coming on who will tell us yet again that we're supposed to be eating less meat for the planet. We're supposed to be eating less junk food for our bodies. Is this really good news? Is it churro frappe junk food, Neil? Come on. <laughs> I wouldn't go anywhere near it, Steve, so I wouldn't know. I mean, I imagine the sugar content must be pretty high. But, I mean, they're calling it Cosmix. Great name. C-O-S-M-C-S. Cosmix to, you know, to deal with a slump in some sales. Is this a good news? I mean, economically, I'm sure you're going to say yes. Well, no. I mean, look, you, you know, Starbucks is at 38,000 outlets today, and they plan to get up to 55,000 by 2030. Full disclosure, I do have stock in Starbucks. Uh, Of course you do. (laughs) Well, I go there all the time. In more ways than one, you've got stock in that place. So, so, yeah, I mean, they've got to, you know, this is, there's a battle and and Starbucks has come out on top right now because McDonald's, you know, we're busy, you know, we've got all this real estate. It's busy, you know, somewhat in the mornings. It's busy lunchtime. It's busy at dinner, but it's not busy in the afternoons. Mm. And so we have to come up with some way of, of of battling it out with Starbucks for that afternoon traffic, and that's where they're going. I don't. I mean, I don't know how. Look, I mean, the uh, the stock um, didn't you know didn't move on this news, so I don't. I think there's a market is skeptical that they're going to be able to compete, but we'll we'll have to see. So it says 900 stores in the U.S., 1,900 in international markets that are company operated and franchised. Uh, and another 7,000 stores in international markets that are operated by licensees. We don't know. That didn't break down any or say anything about Singapore, the Singapore market. I would imagine we'd probably get a few more, although it seems like we got a lot already. Well, Singapore is a very good market yeah. for McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. especially if they of, can do the drive throughs right? More yeah. drive throughs In terms of per square foot, we must be one of the highest. You don't really have to walk more than four, 800 meters, and you'll find a McDonald's somewhere. Yeah. But um, anyway, we but, shall see. Well, speaking of uh, – 
of, of taking care of your needs, whatever they may be. Country clubs in Singapore take care of a lot of people's needs. And specifically, uh, the country clubs in Singapore seeking to refresh offerings as young people are losing their interest in that uh, 5C prestige factor. At the same time, we're going to be getting rid of golf courses, uh, getting rid of that land. Um, this is a, a, another story that came out this week, yet again talking about uh, how Singapore's literal and landscape is going to be changing in years to come. Yeah, and you know, you've, you've got the you know golf courses take up two uh, percent of all of the land of Singapore, um, and so the question is, we move into a situation where we we recognize we need to find ways to you know get carbon out of the atmosphere. We need to find ways to have more greenery. Uh, what's going to happen? courses um what's going to happen to the the country clubs especially you know those city clubs not the country clubs but the city clubs that are located downtown and so singapore is is making a decision that this land can be used for better purposes uh, and I, I mean i think there's some tensions that are that are certainly going to come out but it, it's going in one direction but you know when you have you know certain people will be saying well why should we be wasting land for such a small minority of the people where it can have a greater benefit this is where you head. That's a great summary, Steve. And Glenn and I might disagree on this one, I suspect. But anyone who's read my books will know my views on golf courses. I'm staggered to learn that they're 2% of the land in Singapore. That is a ridiculously high figure for what they are. But I have to see the other side as well, that apparently if we're going to attract the C-suite dollars and the CEOs, apparently they need their golf courses. So is that the trade-off we're willing to make, Steve? Well, what you need to do, I mean, that is, that's part of the trade-off, but there's, there are environmental benefits to golf courses if they are done correctly. Not as, um, not, I, go, I have to interrupt there before Glenn comes in. They're never, ever, ever going to be as environmentally beneficial as a forest or as even uh, wooded areas. They're not. They're just they're lawns and a few trees. Got to get that out but, there. But they're not good. But it's not the choice going to be. Or is this going to be a forest, or is it going to be a golf course? Is this going to be a golf course, or is it going to be housing? Is this going to be a golf course, or is this going to be commercial? And there are so that's you know any forest is going to be better than anything. Forest be better than a house if you want to make that argument. That's not the way I would look at it. I would say, what are we going to do with this plot of land? And you can design golf courses so that there are benefits in terms of biodiversity. They could provide habitat for species more than housing would. Mm. Um, there's ways that you can have them reduce temperatures because of the trees and the shade, and then the, which which has a, another benefit in urban areas. So you, but but what you know? I mean, you know, go back to the United States. I mean, when you're putting in golf courses in places like Arizona where you have huge water shortages and, and golf courses suck up a lot of water, you're going to have to change the golf courses and maybe have a desert as opposed to greenery in these places. All so right. it is changing. Time for me to weigh in. Give your pro-golf <laughs> argument. And before you say it, I already know what you're going to say. You're going to say that the, the land is primarily beside reservoirs. You're going to say that. I, yep. know, I know the golf argument. Yep. I've heard every golf no, argument. it's true. It's primarily beside reservoirs, so the, the land is being used to service the nation anyway because of the runoff yeah, into the reservoirs. So, so you're going to use yep. that argument. Yep. What else have you got? <laughs> so the, uh, 
so that that is definitely one. I'm a golfer and I enjoy golfing. And I'm not anti golf, by the way. Yeah, I yeah. just want to put that out there. The the other thing, a couple of things come up from the environmental standpoint, right? And it it is true when when you're on a golf course here in Singapore in these heavy rains, you see how much water is collected. Yeah. yeah. And you see the other thing you see is how quickly it's drained off into either if it's near a reservoir like Singapore Island Country Club or Marina Bay or um, Orchid Country Club. It goes straight in there. But the other thing is, you know, the the more mature golf courses are are actually beautifully forested. And you've got monkeys. You've got all the migratory birds that mm-hmm. we've heard our many of our guests before say they need these pathways through the country um, on their migratory you know, journey up to uh, Sungai Below or, you know, down yep. south. No, I, I accept that. And reptiles and mammals. And, yeah. yeah. Now, how can, can is there, uh, can you open them up in a way for civilians? That's the key. You know, for example, uh, walking. If they were public courses, for example, you'd have far fewer yeah. complaints. Maybe certain days a week, it can be, you know, walking first thing in the morning for two hours for residents who want to do Which that. you can do in other countries. They do that in other countries. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd, you'd have to structure it smartly. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, when you see the heat, the heat sink, when you go to a golf course, it is so, if you've driven in from the city, it's so much cooler there. And we know this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the green spaces take, you know, are able to alleviate some of that heat of our dense concrete city. And I mean, aesthetically, visually, it's, it's much more pleasing than seeing a bunch of tower block. So I don't know, you know, look, it's all about balance. We got to you know, we all have to balance all these different uh, competing issues. But I don't think that golf courses are necessarily the boogeyman entirely that everybody paints them to. I'm not saying that. Steve, what do you think? I, I'm not anti-golf course. Yeah. It's just in a land finite space. 2% seemed very high to me, Steve. I didn't even realize it was that much. You know, and and you, if you can make them more sustainable, I mean, and, and, and they, some of them are, some of them aren't. So that's part of it. And then another place where you find golf courses, you know, flying to Changi, you see golf courses all, all by the airport. You know why they're by the airport? Because no one wants to live by an airport. It's too loud. So put golf courses and out. And the height restrictions airport. and stuff. Yeah. 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 But the perfect to put them, put them out there, although you have a little bit of worry about migratory birds getting into engines, but we'll put that off to the side. Right? Yeah. So – so you have – there are ways to do it. And, Neil, to your first point, look, they are a, a – they, they do serve, you know, wealthier people to some degree. And, you know, you do want to have those types of attractions. Do you know what Singapore you – know, you know what the, the fee is to get a membership now out at Sentosa? Oh, it's, it's something like 300000 or something, right? Is that right? Wrong? 500,000. For, for Singaporeans, yeah. yeah. For, 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 at, to, out, out at the Sentosa Golf Course. So, it, it, that, I mean, so there is a, I mean, the market will tell you there is a demand for a small part of the universe to have these things. Yeah, but so, if you're a Singaporean, you can play at Orchid or Marina Bay for 50 bucks. So, you know, but, 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 you, you know, know, the public courses are value, quite affordable. There's a right? value. I mean, of course, Glenn. I mean, yeah. but I'm saying but there's a value society. My point is value society puts on these, and you do want to have some of them. But you want to have them in the right place, and you want to have them operated the right way. But you don't want to get rid of them. Yeah. All right. Steve, speaking – you mentioned airports yeah. uh, in, your, in your last comment. Speaking and I was of thinking which, of Sully, actually, with the birds <laughs> in the engine. Sully Sullenberger. Yes. Uh, Miracle on the Hudson. That's right. Have you ever – pictured yourself landing a plane have you ever been in the back of the plane and thought if they come out and said the pilot's been incapacitated we need somebody to land this plane would you put your hand up steve okay back when i was at the department of transportation <laughs> the, 
the airline. Operator, Wait, you actually aircraft, have a story. You actually have a story. He landed a plane. <laughs> the aircraft owners and pilots in the Pentagon. Said, because look, I'm working, I'm reg, you know, I'm part of the team that's regulating the airlines. And so the pilots, you know, the, the aircraft owners uh, came up to me and said, hey, we want to take you up in a small plane, right? We want to show you what it's like. Sure. So, no, I was not in the back of a plane. I was in the front seat of a Cessna. Now it's okay. a single engine. Okay. There you go. And so the pilot is like, hey, you want to fly it? And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you can fly it. And so, you know, when you're up at, at, at altitude, altitude for assessment, you know, we're talking thousands of feet, yeah, tens yeah. of thousands of feet. But that's not so bad. But then he's like, oh, bring it in for a landing. And you can, you'll, you, you can, you can bring in the approach part of the way. So I'm coming in on the approach, <laughs> and maybe at a couple hundred feet, he takes the controls back. So uh, could I have landed that? I don't even know I could have landed that without bumping it all over the yeah. Bring it over and bring it down. Uh, a, a a commercial jet? No, you can't do that. That is impossible for somebody to do who has zero training. So there's a new survey published in January. This is hilarious. A third of adult Americans think they could safely land a passenger aircraft with air traffic control guidance. Among the male respondents, the confidence level rose to 50%. You see, I'm not, this is where I begrudgingly admire Americans. It's where we watch too much TV. It's, I begrudgingly admire Americans because no British survey would be that high. They'd be like, no, we're all going to die. Right? And I don't think Singaporean survey would be that high. But the Americans, Steve, they're like, sure, we'll land the plane. <laughs> I got in simula- I mean, I got in simulators of, of, of you know, at the, at the training academies that the airlines have. I crashed every single time I tried to land one of those simulators. <laughs> <laughs> zero, zero people. Yeah. On let me that said, if I was up in a plane and, and the announcement came, I'd, my hand would go. Hey, I've done this before. Put me, <laughs> in, put me in there. I can land this thing. So of course I would say. Yeah. Well, right. this is what happens when the Rock is going to be your next president. There you go. There you go. All right, Steve. Hey, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much. We look forward to seeing you back in the studio next week, which will be our last show before the holiday. Hey, we got a bunch of birthdays, and but I will say, you know, obviously one for somebody in the studio, but one uh, Mason Oaken is twenty-one. So happy birthday! Wow, there we go. To Mason, so we got a lot of milestone birthdays to celebrate. Happy birthday, Mason! It was mine, but that's okay. Happy birthday, <laughs> and and Steve, the song that's coming up next is for you, uh, based on the Rock, uh, and and fifty percent of American males thinking they can land an airplane. You'll see in just a minute what that song is. All right, thanks, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. See you next week. Bye bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.